Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and in this four-part series, we'll explore how the church can pursue true racial reconciliation. Now, race is a conversation that is often fraught with difficulty. Even where we recognize trends and what different communities believe, people are complex and have differing perspectives within those communities. Nevertheless, as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate source of truth, justice, and redemption. Working from that foundation, we're inviting trusted ministry leaders into conversation with us so that we can listen to and learn from them on this important subject. Some of the questions we explore are, how can believers pursue gospel-centered racial reconciliation, and what gets in the way of that pursuit? And what are the practical steps church leaders can take to address racial divides? While a podcast series can only begin to scratch the surface of this complex topic, we hope you'll find our series to be thought-provoking, encouraging, and informative. And now, on to this week's special guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. I am joined today by Pastor John Anwuchekwa. John is a native of Houston, Texas, and was born into a Nigerian home where the gospel was cherished and modeled. After graduating from college, he continued his studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. John has served at churches in both Texas and Georgia, and in 2015, he and his family moved into the historic West End of Atlanta to help plant Cornerstone Church with their closest friends. John also serves on the board of directors for the Crete Collective, an organization that exists to establish gospel-driven churches in distressed and neglected black and brown communities. Now, in this episode, John and I discuss the differences between diversity and solidarity and why it is important to the ministry of the collective church. John speaks to the claim that addressing social justice distracts from the gospel and shares how his church is working hard at sharing the full goodness of the gospel in their community. We discuss why planting churches in neglected communities is vital, and John shares a great practical way every ministry leader can take their first step in moving toward racial solidarity. This is such a powerful conversation. You'll definitely want to share this with your friends, so be sure to pass this one along. And now, won't you join me in my conversation with John Anwuchekwa. John, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us. Nah, Jason, man. Glad to be here, man. All right, brother. Now, can you um, tell us a little bit about your background, especially, especially can you touch on the Creek Collective and why you got involved in it? Okay. Yeah. Um, So born in Houston, Texas, grew up in an immigrant family. My parents came over from Nigeria about 50 years ago now. They love the Lord, still the gospel into us heavy. Um, uh, the summer before college, long story short, robbed at gunpoint in Nigeria. And before I get to school and waste uh, my life as a college student, the Lord uh, had me rethink some things. And so I really got a chance to yeah, head into life on my own with this clean and fresh start, just seeing how impotent right, all the things that I lived my life for were 
and really like seeking a life of meaning, purpose, and it found that in Jesus. And from that point on, it was just like, all right, Lord, I want to live the rest of my life making you famous and known. And 20 years later, right, it's just been a series of me being strategically reactive, responding to the calls that yeah, God has had on me. So moved to Atlanta about 12 years ago to plant a church with a team from Texas, was at that church for six years as a teaching pastor. And then uh, one of my best friends in the world that made the move with me, him and a group of folks about 10 years ago, moved into the community that we're in right now, West End. Uh, West End is uh, yeah, inner city community, predominantly black and brown, predates the city of Atlanta. Our zip code was redlined in the 30s. Uh, our zip code was the hardest hit in the nation when it came to the mortgage crisis years ago. So you talk about a place that was yeah broken, blighted, just in need of help. And we had a group of folks, just members from our church that said, let's move into the West End and just be an expression of the gospel there. And they did it for three years and it grew into this core group that basically had people that were in the West End said, man, we're, we're not really Christians. We don't really, we don't really get down with Jesus and all of that stuff that y'all have done. But it's something about the way that y'all love one another and love us that we think that if y'all had a church here, we would attend and we'd come. And so that led us into all right, I think that we need to plant a church there. So I got on board with the team and we launched this church. And here's where Crete started, right? Um, me and Thabiti and a group of guys planted our churches in similar contexts um, in 2015. So uh, Easter 2015, they planted in Anacostia, uh, Southeast DC, a different community, but has the same backstory as West End. June, we planted, we had some friends that planted a church, Philly, September of that year. And when we got together in the same room, uh, it was uh, C.S. Lewis says this, friendships born at the moment where one person says to another, you too, I thought I was the only one, right? Right, so right. we get in and it just turned into the you two, you two, you two. And we said, all right, listen, let's commit to just meeting yearly. Let's pray. Let's talk about what we've seen. Let's pool our resources and let's try to meet this need um, that we've seen in contexts like ours. And we basically just did that for five years. And as we did that informally for five years, the burden started to grow inside of us and the burden felt magnetic. So we saw people that would look and say, you too, you too, you too, when they jumped in. And then we got to the point where we said, hey, let's formalize this thing. Let's really make it our mission and our aim to plant churches and strengthen gospel works in neglected black and brown communities, right? Let's let our solidarity around that point lead the way in what we're trying to do. And it that's it. It was a, let's try it. Let's put it out there. And 
we put it out there and there's been nothing but yeah, love and so su- su- uh love and support. So Yeah, that's that's an awesome story. John, right. why why do you think a movement like the Creek Collective was necessary? Yeah. Um I think it's it's scratching an itch that I think a lot of people have been trying to uh, scratch, they just haven't been locating it in the right place, right? So here's what I mean, like, uh, as you think of like uh, mainline Christianity or mainstream, um, the predominant conversation that goes on in mainstream is surrounding diversity or racial reconciliation and all those things, which is great things and a great goal one of the problems that we've seen is that when the conversation about diversity leads the way, we're not saying that it's wrong, but often it's located in predominantly white spaces uh, and it's centered around predominantly white concerns where it just leaves the concerns of the people that are in the margins as marginalized. So I think what we found out was it was like, we found a camaraderie and a solidarity in one another that when we would go to some of these more established spaces, the concerns that we brought up felt like an addendum to the main agenda. And so I do think that what Crete does is it just says, hey, no, no, look, there's a specific need that needs to be addressed and instead of yeah, spending our time convincing a mainstream crowd that this need is worthy to be addressed, instead of spending all of our time creating an apologetic in uh, these larger spaces, let's just be about the work and start to do this work. And as we do the work, I think that's going to be the best apologetic for what it is that we're trying to do. And I think that it's going to clarify the need and be the point of differentiation where folks can look and start to say, oh, that's what they meant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's fascinating. Um, talk to me a little bit, John, about, because um, I think this goes into that that diversity question um, yeah. and in, in the work that you're doing. Talk to yeah. me a bit about how how a, a, a church in a particular community yeah. um, reflects or should reflect the makeup of that particular community. Yeah. Um, it, it, what's that relationship there? Because we see this a, a lot in churches, you know, that, that a church could be in a community and look nothing like the neighborhood right. around it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It, and some people want to create churches, um, and this is kind of sometimes that diversity question, they want a diverse church, but they're not in a, divi- a diverse neighborhood, right? Yeah. So yeah. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that because I think that's a hangup that sometimes we have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the problem when you, when diversity becomes the North Star, right? You start to focus on like the need that you have inside of the church building and not primarily the needs that exist outside in the community. So it's uh, so you don't think about your surroundings. You think about, all right, what do things look like when we're here, when we're inside these four walls? And that's why we say, all right, look, 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 
Diversity and solidarity are not synonyms, but everywhere anybody looks and describes what we're trying to do, almost any way that somebody would use the word diversity, I want to replace it with solidarity because now what I'm saying is, no, 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 look, 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 both of them encompass things, right? A mission and a diverse group of people Diversity centers the makeup of the people. Solidarity centers the mission that we're after. And that's why I found out, no, look, if you find a church in a context and they are concerned with meeting the needs of the people in that context, then I think what you'll see is that the church uh, will often be a reflection of the people that are in that context, right? Where solidarity does exist, I think diversity rides along in the passenger side because you get a diverse group of folks that are all about this uh, cause. So it's like, you know, like the civil rights movement was a diverse movement, but diversity was never its right goal, right? So I, I think that it's the same thing when it comes to a church, right? You put a church in a context, and when the church is concerned about that context, then I think you start to see the church being a reflection of that context. And Jason, here's where you really start to see it. Because a bunch of folks talk about diversity when it relates to ethnicity, and there's some folks that do that well, but when you start to talk about diversity as it relates to class, and socioeconomic status, that's a different conversation that not a lot of folks do well. And so there's not a lot of books written about that because there aren't a bunch of flagship places that have that as their North Star, right? So mm -hmm. um, we've even been a church where we've done a good job, like from the jump, our church has been ethnically diverse, but you start to find out, oh, there's barriers that are put up uh, that we don't even know that are there. And we've got to get a place where we start to center our concerns on the things that affect the poor in our community. And until we do that, our church is never going to reflect the makeup. So what I would say to a church that finds themselves in a community that's not ethnically diverse, I'd say one, um, right? Don't chase after that as if that's the North Star or the gold standard. Make sure that you don't have any barriers that are in place that would keep somebody from experiencing Jesus uh, as they walk in through the doors. But two, I'd spend a lot more time focusing on what socioeconomic barriers may be in place Uh for that church. Yeah, that's good, John, because that, that yeah. helps us look at the diversification question in yeah. a different light. Because oftentimes, right. right, it is it is a racial, ethnic diversity is, yeah. is what we kind of champion, but there's that whole other social, economic yeah. um, side of it. So that, that that's that's very helpful. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this, John. Yeah. How do you respond to, to others who might say that by focusing on minority communities, you're excluding other communities. Right. In other words, let, let me say it this way. Yeah. You're saying um, 
black communities matter or brown communities matter, yeah. they're saying, well, actually all communities matter. Right. And what we're saying is all communities do matter. And we agree with that. And we're trying to reflect that reality by investing our time and resources in planting churches and strengthening gospel works in the communities that we say all matter, but they conveniently get left off of the list, right? So when you start to think through, um, you know, church planning, how it's talked about now, uh, what we found is that a lot of people talk through the cities that we're going to plant through, all right? We're going to go to this city and we're going to plant here and they'll bring the demographics up of the entire city. But then as we kind of zoom in on the map some and we look and it's like, hey, but when we break down the city into neighborhoods, it seems like the churches that are being planted in the city are almost exclusively being planted in all the communities that are not primarily black and brown. Mm -hmm. And so it's us saying, no, look, there's a beautiful puzzle that is here in place. Everybody's starting to put their pieces down. We just don't want to double stack, right? Like we're, we're trying to find the holes, right? We're trying to do what Paul says, right? Paul's like, yo, I'm eager to go to a place uh, and I don't want to build on another man's foundation. And so we celebrate the work that God has done elsewhere. And we're saying, we just want to come alongside as a compliment to complete that work. Yeah, that's awesome. Great response. Yeah. What, what about um, when people uh, begin to say, well, it seems like you're prioritizing social justice over the gospel? Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah. Well, that's so it's hard when people say that. Uh, one of the things that we say is this uh, I'm not prioritizing social justice over the gospel because I don't feel those two things are at odds, right? Uh, like, as I read through the prophets, it seems like these are things that God really has concern. Yeah, yeah, about. And so I'm just trying to have concern about those same things. Um, one of the things that we say at our church and we try to embody in Crete is that uh, where I am, I just want somebody to experience the goodness of the gospel through all five of their senses. That's what I'm trying to do. Call that what you want to. But what I'm saying is this, right? I had a professor in school Howard Hendricks that said this, I've never seen God turn water into wine, but I have seen God turn wine into milk. And he talked about a guy with an alcoholic father who the gospel transformed him. And now instead of wasting money on this uh, addiction that he had, instead he's buying milk for his kids so they no longer have to eat Cheerios with water. Mm. And every time their kids take a bite of Cheerios with milk, they are reminded something of the goodness of God. And so what I say is there are people that live in my context, they may not live in yours, but they literally don't have anything to eat. 
their stomachs are empty. And I just want to plant the kind of church in our context where this, I know a chicken sandwich isn't going to save anybody, but I want somebody to be able to pass by our church or interact with folks that are part of our church. And without asking, we take the initiative to make sure that they're fed so that when we talk about a God who had no obligation to come down and serve us, they can say, oh, kind of like what y'all did with me. It's amazing how y'all sing about the generosity of your God and the generosity of your God has actually overflowed uh, into my stomach. So the chicken sandwich didn't save me, but the chicken sandwich testified to the generosity of, of, of a God that can. So, and we want to apply that to education systems. Uh, again, your context may not be the same way as mine. We live on a side of town where when the pandemic hit, our kids didn't have access to tutors and things like that. So they say that it's going to take these black and brown kids in the West End nine to 12 months to catch up to their white counterparts that had it. What is the gospel demand of us? How can the generosity of God overflow to those things? And what we're saying is we're just in close proximity to people that have these needs and we want our gospel to overflow to those practical needs. And that's where it's like, call it what you want. I call it, we want somebody to experience the goodness of the gospel through all five of their senses. And I think when we put it like that, we're all in agreement. And so, yeah, just let's be about that work and come and help us with that work. Yeah, John, I love that's a beautiful, beautiful way to respond. That beautiful description. I I love to hear that and hear those stories. And and I think that's, um, I love the way you share that because, like you said, it's hard to argue that, right? I mean, it's, right? It's hard to say, "Whoa, wait a second. It, it it lets you see the fullness of God's work, the fullness of the gospel, in in um all the ways that it touches people's lives and points yeah. people to Jesus, and which is, which is what we're called to do. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. John, tell me this, with, with the work that um, your church and, and other churches that are engaged with the Creek Collective are doing, um, it seems like there are a lot of uh, similarities between what you're doing and what you know we consider like modern day mission work in, yeah. in other countries, other cultures. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I think that's a great paradigm, right? Nobody's like, right, when missions groups are... St- sending people to China or Africa or places, right? What uh, they're saying is, look, there's a specific need and we want solidarity around that need. Let's get behind seeing the gospel advance in that context. And there's not an argument right there that, ah, y'all are specializing in Chinese lives. So you must say that they matter more. And it's like, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a task. There's an agenda that we want to be about. Like, like, let's be about that. And I think that if people understood that paradigm and they applied it to what we were trying to do, I do think, Jason, that's the best way to understand what it is that we're trying to do. It's a targeted missions effort on our own soil 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's super yeah. helpful, John. Let, let's talk a little bit about racial reconciliation because yeah. obviously there's a great need for that. We've seen right. that over the last, you know, I mean, decades in our country. Right. Over the last year, you know, there's been yeah. tons of racial tension, as we know. Um, what, what, John, do you think are some of the, the common misunderstandings or, or perhaps like obstacles yeah. that, that you have witnessed uh, among American Christians yeah. or the American yeah. church when it comes to pursuing racial reconciliation? Yeah. Even the way the conversation is framed and the agenda that's baked into the title, racial reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I see that term championed or thrown out in a majority context or culture and the people that advocate for the need of it um, are those that often find it missing in their own lives. So I say it like this, right? Um, Being black in America, the way that I've grown up, my dinner table, my relationships have always been diverse, right? I've gone to predominantly white schools from kindergarten to doctoral work. So it's like, so, so on one hand, when we talk about reconciliation, right, what I often find from minorities is, wait a minute, my life is diverse. I have reconciled relationships. It's often what we found, uh, the majority culture context that lacks it and wants to make reconciliation a priority where what we're saying is, no, 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 no. I do think that we need to talk about that, but I do think the reconciliation or the unity in a sense is a byproduct of something that we're after, right? Unity in and of itself, um, in some ways, right? So we're not always, it's gonna break down, but in some ways, unity in and of itself is not a vice or a virtue. It's a vehicle, right? So it's like this, like uh, the Nazis were unified. Genesis is gonna go to great length to say the people that built the Tower of Babel were unified. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Patriots are unified and nobody likes them, right? (laughs) We all look and say, oh, no, no, they're unified towards a goal that really don't help me, right? So what I want more than unity is solidarity or justice. And I think like unity can serve great ends. Unity can serve nefarious ends. So we don't need to place that as the North Star. I think in the racial conversation, we do need to shift the conversation just from reconciliation to solidarity, justice to works like that. And I think that's what you see in Acts 6, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get unity by talking about unity, right? So Acts 6 and Acts 15, two places where the unity of the church is threatened. And in Acts 6, Hellenistic widows get overlooked and they're upset and they come to Peter. And Peter doesn't just say, we're we're all one in Christ. Bear with us as we work through this thing. No, they sit back and they pray and they said, there is an issue. It's not one of overt racism, but it is one of simple neglect and a minority group being overlooked 
And what they say is, church, let's everybody work together. Let's do what we can to fix the problem. And they fixed the problem. And do you know what they got at the end of that? Unity, right? Right, right, Unity right. comes from addressing the things that stand in our way. It feels like there's this brick wall of injustice that has been built up and even largely uh, some of the major denominations and proponents in the church have a history of their ancestors, not just building this brick wall, but being the architects and the designer of mm. the brick walls. And what we're saying is, I want to hug it out just as much as anybody else, but I'm on one side of the brick wall. Y'all are on this one. How about we work together Let's tear down this brick wall because of the, you know, unity that we already have in Christ, right? There's an ontological unity that we have in Christ. Let's make that practical in our solidarity to tear down this brick wall. And then once that brick wall is teared down, then we can hug it out as an expression of, oh, look, now we can actually enjoy the unity that has been provided to, to us by Christ. But I think so often we're content with talking about this unity in ethereal terms or Revelation 7, this is what we're trying to be and do that we don't address. Yeah, I get it. But there's some very practical things that are standing in the way. Let's show our desire for unity by by starting to tear down this brick wall. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's very very helpful. I love how you distinguish between uh, kind of unity and solidarity. So yeah. so let me ask this, John. Um, how can the the evangelical church begin to um, dismantle that brick wall and, yeah. and move into solidarity? Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things that I would say is this, uh, one of the major problems that I've seen in the course of the past year is uh, um, offering shallow solutions. Well, I think the church needs scuba gear, right? Mm. Uh, John Dewey is going to say it like this, a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved, that until you understand the nature of the problem, um, you really don't know how to solve it. And I think um, you kind of, it's, uh, re it's reductionistic to kind of throw sin as a blanket statement over the problems that we face and not really dive deep into, no, 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 no. Specifically, how is that played out, right? Specifically, what are the ways that the, eva the evangelical church has contributed to the problems that we see and not saying that we're responsible for the sins of our ancestors, but I do think we have a responsibility to steward the gifts that we have to undo some of the wrongs that have been done in the past. So it's like the community that I live in right now has experienced much of its plight because people in the past um, align themselves with political parties and not their black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ. So they advocated for segregation. They advocated for redlining. They advocated for all of those things that 
uh, it pulled resources and leaders out of the community that I'm in. Now, I'm not saying everybody, like, I'm not saying everybody has the same responsibility to contribute to the solution. But what I am saying is, no, look, this is a problem that was brought about by our forefathers. Um, let's do all that we can to make sure that uh, uh, we're starting to address or to turn those things back or to see the solutions take place. But I feel like what makes it hard is that whenever something like that is even mentioned, it's not the conversation doesn't go into clarify what you mean by that, help me understand what the next steps are. The conversation often devolves into mischaracterizations and attacks. And that's what we see a whole lot in this, it, the, the current like critical race theory debate and if it's good and what it's trying to do. And it's like, no, 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 that's a distract. Like, can we just talk about the actual problem? So I think until we do get to a place where we're willing just to talk about the nature of the problem, how did it get here? And what opportunities do we as a church have to help correct those things um, until we can get to a place where we can define the problem similarly, then I feel like we're just going to be at an impasse. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. John. It seems like people just keep talking past each other almost. Past. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so let me ask, ask this uh, as we're yeah. kind of wrapping up. It's been a great conversation, by the way. Yeah. I really appreciate awesome. it. Um, yeah. What, and this may be a, I mean, you may have an answer right away. You may not, and if it's okay yeah. if you don't. But, but what is, um, what is something practical? Like if, if, if churches were going to address this, this situation, what is something very, very practical that, that church leaders can begin doing that, that would help address and bring more of this solidarity in, in some yeah. of these justice issues to, to, to light. Yeah. So one of the best first steps that I've seen people do, um, and again, I mean, I know as I say this, there's going to be the detractors that say, ah, you're advocating for this. Read, read history um, as written by people of color or round out the history that you already know with a different perspective of it. And I feel like the people that I've seen this change take place in are folks that have started to read and consider, and they'll say things like, John, I had no clue that this took place, right? John, I had no clue uh, of the Freedmen's Bank and how when slaves were freed, they were encouraged to put their money in banks that took their deposits but didn't loan it back to them. John, I didn't know that... Uh, the people that own those banks gambled half of black wealth away on railroads and lost it and gave them nothing but a condolence card that said, sorry for your loss, that set uh, uh, a nation of folks back. John, I didn't know the effects that redlining had on what. And what I found is that there's been a lot of people 
that have just been ignorant to the history of what's really going on. So they see um, the problems that people are saying, no, I think that the church should step up. I think that the church should step up. They see it as a distraction and not a responsibility where, um, all right, if the church was not involved in politics, uh, if our ancestors believed that exact same thing, then there would have been a lot of things, uh, a lot of um, maladies that wouldn't have befallen our country because people just didn't have the numbers to do damage. But it's because the church was involved in politics in the wrong way that mm -hmm. a lot of these things have transpired. And what we're saying is, all right, just go back and learn those things. And after you learn those things or have an account for those things, let's have a conversation on what course correction looks like. So for me, I, I think the first step is really just being able to do a deep dive and let's at least have uh, a similar set of dates and times and events to talk through. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Because when you're coming from two different um, historical perspectives, right, right, on the, on the yeah. same reality, same reality, but two completely different perspectives, it, it's hard to get that solidarity that you're talking about. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah. that's super important, super helpful. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, John, it's been so good uh, to hear from um, you, to hear your heart. I love, I love the work that you are doing, you at yeah. your church and Creek Collective as a whole. Yeah. If people Thank want you, to learn more about um, Creek Collective, or yeah. more about your church, or maybe even connect with you on social, how can they do that? Yeah, um, they can go to the CreteCollective.org, Instagram, and Twitter, at the Crete Collective. Uh, and from there, they should be able to find me and the rest of the uh, group there. So, yeah. Awesome. Excellent. We'll have links to the, in the show notes for our listeners. John, thank you yeah. so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Kingdom. God bless you, my friend. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you, bro. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.